Savoring Sweetness, the life and times of Walter Payton. Welcome to Savoring Sweetness, the Walter Payton podcast. I'm Rick Tarzitano. Joining me via phone is Jared Payton. Hey, Jared. What's going on, Ricky T? Not much, man. Uh, lots to get to today, so I want to get right to it. Um, the person that I want to talk about next is somebody that I was really excited to talk to just because my mom had a crush on this person growing up and I could never figure out why in talking to him. Uh, it was pretty easy to see. It's Gary Fensick. Um, for those who aren't old enough to know who that is, that was the Bears safety during the 85 Super Bowl. And actually what I thought was really interesting that I didn't know is he, he played the last 12 years of his career with your dad side by side um, and they both had their last game against the Redskins together, and uh, just a, a wealth of information considering they didn't play on the same side of the ball. He's one of the guys from you know, the football life when they did that, that documentary who really broke down and almost had to like take a second, you know, to to when he was talking about my dad passing away and just what it meant to him and how it hit him. And I think, you know, just hearing him talk, everything was was the truth he, he he talked the truth and i think especially the the talk the the conversation that we've had with all these guys about how my dad not scoring a touchdown in the super bowl and he was truly honest with everything and i love that about gary so that's what i'm looking forward to uh bears fans peyton fans to be able to hear from gary fancy you know i don't really necessarily remember the very first time we met walter payton i'm sure i didn't go up to him and introduce myself <laughs> <laughs> but um you know, put this in context, I played 12 years and I only had one starting halfback. My entire career was Walter Payton. That's amazing. And um, I do remember probably one of my scariest, most vivid memories is your dad had that uh, black turbo Porsche. Yeah. And this is during training camp. And he said, hey, you want to ride to the dining hall, which is all of two blocks. Oh my gosh, I was holding on for dear life. I mean, you got those ravines where we used to practice was the old, uh, an old prep school, and he was going down, it, <laughs> I was holding on for dear life, and knew, man, that would be the last time I would be uh, in a car with Walter Payton. But I remember Walter, uh, we used to train running up the ravines uh, off of the beach in Lake Forest. And there was a number one draft choice who played for the Cleveland Browns who went to your dad's same school. I forget his, Hanford Dixon, I think okay, it was. Yeah. And we were already in training. I mean, it, was, it wasn't in training camp, but he was you know, in June. And we knew as soon as we walked down to the beach that either Hanford Dixon was gonna give it up or we were gonna continue to run those until he did. <laughs> and it took about 10, because you'd, you'd have to run up these ravines and then you'd go down a path and then you'd do it again. And uh, fortunately, I think Hanford only got about 10, 10 chances and after that he was kind of hurling and we were like, oh, okay, we're, we're, we're done. We've mission accomplished. <laughs> well, I mean, you seem like you're in really good shape and I'm sure you were your whole life. Like, did that physical prowess, like, was it something to be seen like when you showed up? Oh, you know, Walter took it to another level, though. I mean, everybody's in good shape, but, you know, it's not easy climbing up ravines. You know, full speed is as much as you can do it. It takes a lot of power. I've started to research more about my dad, and especially the early. I mean, everybody wants to talk about the 80s, but I think sometimes people forget about his 77 season and, 
and how much was put on his shoulders that oh, gosh, season. Yeah. I mean, to he was they called it the the one man band on the offense, and especially not being able to throw the ball. Can you put that in perspective of that? 77 season because some say that's the greatest of any running back of what they had on their plate well you know walter would never go out of bounds i mean you know i you know there are just certain games where you know you're behind and you're really getting beaten up if you're walter payton i mean they're just keying on him and you know you see this today it's not a negative or a positive comment but people just go out of bounds and you're like wow you could have gotten you know lowered that shoulder and got one or two more yards but you decided and it's not worth it. And maybe that's the right way to preserve your body, but your dad just never took that route. And you'd see some unbelievable runs that went for five yards, and he made like maybe it was a 15 yard run, but it went for five. And you just look in there and go, wow, how can you not want to work hard when this guy's giving it everything on an offense that was very challenged? And, you know, that last game, we played in New York at the Meadowlands against the Giants. We needed that win to get to the playoffs. And Walter was, you know, X number of yards to break the single season rushing record that OJ had. And I just remember, I was talking to Doug Plank about this. I go, yeah, I was a young guy. It was my first year starting. And they said, hey, Jack Pardee, our coach at the time, wants you to throw all your shoes in. Uh, for the game and I go but we're playing on a turf field why would I bring my grass shoes and, he, and uh, our equipment manager Ray goes I'm just telling you that's what he said now okay threw everything in there and we on Saturday did a walkthrough and it wasn't bad and on Sunday it pulled back the curtains and it was sleeting and it sleeted the entire game and so you couldn't do anything. You couldn't run left or right and walk. I mean, it was just mis. You couldn't kick, and we go into overtime. I mean, and they had Larry Zonka. They had a big guy who you know could really pound it out in that kind of weather. And I mean, literally, people were going, "Why do you? You don't even care. You're not going anywhere. Let us win the game. We'll get out of here." <laughs> and we we finally did. And I I don't think I've ever been in a shower that long. I mean, it was just. You were just bone cold. And I found a pair of grass shoes in my little locker that if you took the cleat off, the screw was in the sole of the shoe. Usually it's in the, in, yeah. and so I took off all of the spikes and in the second half I played on screws. <laughs> I mean, I hope I didn't puncture anybody, you know, but. That's yeah. insane. It is. I have never. I mean, normally, yeah, they're the they're screw ins. Yeah, they're screw in. in. I've never. And it's not like I knew it. I was like, oh, and also I realized, oh, this, this, this shoe, the screws are in the sole of the shoe. I go, I'm trying it because otherwise you couldn't keep your footing. And it was, oh, it was a miserable day. I, I also think about as you get to the 80s and especially the 85 season, I, I've heard a lot of people talk about my dad that it was, you had McMahon, you had the fridge you had the defense and somehow he felt like he was maybe not getting the the credit or the, the shine because ever, everybody else was shining as well but it got you guys to that point when you look at it you know not scoring in the Super Bowl a lot of people ask me that question I think almost every single day um, did you see him inside of that broom closet and was he upset and I had no idea okay I really didn't. I didn't know about this until about 10 years ago. I think Hampton or somebody said he 
saw it. He didn't bring up the story. I was like, what are you talking about? I had no idea about that. And I, I don't think Mike Ditka or any head coach is supposed to, you know, say, oh, let's see. Let's make sure that everybody's getting the glory here. I, I got taken out. That was the earliest I got taken out in my entire career. I didn't play the fourth quarter. What are you going to put me in? Hey, I want to pick. Or, But I honestly believe, knowing your dad pretty well, but but knowing everyone growing up wants to get the winning interception, the winning pass, throw it, catch it, winning touchdown. And your dad was no different than anyone else. Yeah. And I know that people say, well, he already accomplished everything. No, he didn't. I mean, Walter and I were the two oldest starters on that team. He was the oldest guy in offense and I was the oldest guy in defense. And you know what? Just because you're a superstar doesn't mean that that glory dream when you're 10 years old isn't still in you. Yeah. And so, yeah, he, he had scored all these touchdowns and rushed for all these yards. But this was the moment that your whole life you've been waiting for. And he had that same little kid desire as everyone else. So I don't. It, it, you know, I don't remember it. I didn't see any of it. And it, it, it surprised me at first, but I was like, I just don't see Walter being anything other than a great team guy. I think that that's how he viewed it as, hey, I too had that dream. And unfortunately, you know, he was keyed upon and everybody else got to, uh, that's, you know, enjoy. That's, that's kind of the main thing is that when you look at how the defense played him I mean it opened up for everybody else and we had this conversation I had it before he passed because I wanted to know yeah it's like dad really was it that big of a deal and he sat me down and he's, he said you know at the time you everybody wants to everything you were just talking about they want to score the touchdown they especially in the biggest games of your life you want to play well and not playing well if you're a competitor it hurts yeah and he said but to know that we got a chance to win a championship and some of my other friends in other sports never got a chance to have a ring. He goes, it made me put in perspective of how lucky I actually was. Yeah. I mean, years later, hey, I know how important it was. The hourglass was certainly very close to the end when you're in your 10th year and you're a free agent like I was. Walter, maybe not. But for me, the hourglass. And so you're like, wow, you don't want to screw this up. I mean, I remember we all cried in the locker room after the 84 championship game in San Francisco. Like kids, we are, it was devastating, absolutely devastating. Cannot imagine what it would be like to lose a Super Bowl. I mean, I, I feel bad for those guys, Mike Brown and Earl Acker and all those guys. They got there and they lost. And then you almost feel like you're the team that plays the Harlem Globetrotters. Nobody talks about it. It's like a forbidden. Do not bring up that game because we lost that game. And yeah, it's really tough. And for us, you know, it was just a magical year. But, you know, Walter and I were in some not so magical years. You ask people, you know, did you always know he was going to be great? And you, you could kind of feel obligated to say yes. Did, was it something that stark, like in practice, where you just see him do things or? Oh, he already was. I mean, you know, I. By the time I came, he was in his second year. He were, already was, you know, a great running back. You know, the amazing thing about Walter was I've never seen anybody enjoy practice as much as he does. You know, everybody, first unit, second unit comes in, you take a knee. You're taking a knee and resting. Walter, no, kicking, punting, 
You know, like, I remember we played a game in San Diego, and he was a third quarterback. And first quarterback went down, the second one started to get a little banged up. And I, Walter was really excited about playing quarterback. Did he do it in practice? Like, did you? Were you guys now, prepared? For I've him? seen him throw. I mean, I, I I don't think he ever ran the offense or anything like that. But he, could but he was really ready. Oh, to punt or kick, he he was. He probably was a good backup. Yeah. So it's just a, uh, a bundle of energy. And I, I think about Walter more as much as I think about him a lot as a great football player. I think as a friend after football, never came up to you. Like you'd see him in a black tie or a charity event or whatever. You would, Walter would never just give you the, oh, hey, how you doing? And looking, you know, it, it, the obligatory handshake. Yeah. Always came up either from behind and take the air out of my, you know, like, and just long enough where you panic a little bit, you know, you're like, does he really realize? Or uh, nibble your way. nibble your ear, or you know, grab you by the hand and take you all the way down, you know, in a tuxedo all the way down to the ground, right. but never just, hey, you know, I could see him and, and moving on. So he always made everybody feel special, and um, and that was, I think, on the field and and off. I mean. It would be fun to play with that much energy, and I was lucky to play on a defense that had so many different characters, and in our own way, yeah. it was a lot of fun to be in that huddle, right? right? Especially if you're creaming somebody, and you're going, whoo, and these, you know, <laughs> Otis and those guys are barking, and, and uh, but, you know, there are key times when I'd be across from the defensive lineman and go, hey, Richard, you, we need this. And, you know, you could look them in the eye, and, you know, just with a helmet on, you're seeing people's eyes and you know when they're either got it or they don't. And I've also been on both sides of that. But it, playing with Doug Plank, you know, we'd be hopelessly out of a game where we needed 10 points and we weren't going to score 10 points. And Doug would just say, hey, time to start having fun. And we've just beaten people up, you know, <laughs> and uh, and just high fiving and, and having a good time going, OK. You may be winning this game, but you're going to remember us. You are going to remember us. Was there an appreciation amongst the defense for how much punishment he oh, dealt out to, yeah. to guys trying to oh, tackle? Oh, yeah. Like, did Ooh. you ever have to tackle him? I, I'm sure. Well, somebody asked me that over the weekend. I go, intentionally? Never. Uh, but sometimes in your, you know, three-quarter speed, you're not tackling anybody. But, you know, you're, you're hitting them a little bit. You know, you as a safety, sometimes you're just filling where a gap is, and you don't even know. You you know the player has to come through, the running back has to come through there. And there were a couple times I just pop him way too hard. But it was only because I didn't really see him, and all of a sudden he was there, and we just kind of popped. And you're like, oh, back to the huddle, strap it up. He's coming. He is coming. <laughs> and I knew it. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to get you. He didn't talk at all. I was like, strap it up because – the next time you see Walter Payton, he's coming hard. <laughs> and he would. He would, you know. And uh, But he was always, you know, I bet you he would pop me and then, uh, you know, be a little shocked and then he'd giggle. You know, <laughs> I got you. Right. You know, I mean, it was just fun to be with. And, you know, when you're watching on sidelines and, you know, whether he's, you know, you would just be amazed. I mean, he would just deliver that blow into somebody and then they'd like null, you know, nullify one another. But he was, you know, so quick. You just keep running, and you go, "Whoa!" I mean, because he did it all. He'd he'd do a five-yard run, but he ran 50 yards. But he'd pop into people, and and you know, he took such pride 
in uh, blocking on a blitz yeah. and the, you know just wanted to be a kicker you know backup quarterback he just was always on and one thing that I keep hearing is I ask questions guys that play with my dad the biggest thing is he played hurt all the time it basically sounded like yeah well I think I think everybody's always kind of hurt but when you look and you're going because you just look at him as invincible. I mean, like I said, he never missed a game in 12 years that I played with him, ever. I mean, I miss games. and uh, But yeah, you, you're not a fool. I mean, that, I don't care how hard you're working out, you're taking a lot of punishment. And that's, that's why, honestly, you'd be on the sideline during a game and you go, just go out of bounds, just go. It's, it's, you know, it's not worth it for two yards. When you're in a game where you're not going anywhere, you know, you're not gonna win. And, uh, you know, he just would never concede. Mm -mm. I just, what I had heard and read is that he didn't want people to know he was hurt because he got pulled out of one game when he was hurt. Yeah, his rookie year. And I understand he was upset. Well, of course, he didn't think he'd play 13 years and, and not miss another game after that. Um, yeah. The, but, you know, those are the antics on the field or his how he, off the field, he was just, uh, you know, we, every year we had a racquetball court. Every year, M80, boom! Oh, I mean, I, you, oh, it, you couldn't hear, like, okay, yeah, what? And no doubt, everybody knew who it was. And well, he, you're talking about the sound of the ball. No, no the sound of an M80, M80 light off an M80. and yes. throw it into the racquetball court and the percussion no sound. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I yeah, mean, you right. couldn't hear. You yeah. blow it almost like blow your eardrums. Just and to it, mess with people. Yes, yeah, yeah. He, there was a story someone told me about being at training camp, and he was in his RV, and then like snuck into the dorms and lift like a half stick of dynamite, threw it down the hall, and boom! And then all the sirens going off. He's already back at his yeah back sleeping. No, he did it every year. I mean, it was like all the time. Yeah, it is. And no one. You know, it wasn't like, hey, you, what are we doing? It was like, it was Walter. Everybody knows it was Walter. <laughs> and uh, he just got a thrill out of doing stuff like that. It, there was one uh, story I heard where he took one of the player's kids and put him in, like, the equipment cart and, like, rode, drove him around the room and threw, um, threw all the old jerseys on him and stuff like that. I mean, th was that something that made him, for as big as a star as he was becoming, did that kind of show how much of a team player he was and how he's just like one of the guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, Walter never really pulled the, hey, I'm, I'm here and you're there and don't bother me. And it was a very, it was a very close team. I mean, even though I, mean, we, I think both of us would say we were fortunate in a way, although we wish it happened earlier, we would make the wild card and then the next year we wouldn't make the playoffs and then we made the wild card and then we didn't the next year and we probably went through 20 quarterbacks over a five or six year period of time i mean a lot of guys and a lot of nice guys some really older you know over the hill type of guys kenny anderson uh, virgil carter uh, great guys but you know, we just didn't have a quarterback. And again, it wasn't like the passing league that it is today in the NFL, but still, it helps to have a, you know, a really good quarterback. And so, because we didn't, and we didn't have truly great receivers either, 
people just, you know, stacked up. You're going to stop this guy, Walter Payton, and that's all we got to do. It. If I was a defensive coordinator, I'd go, this is pretty simple. If we lose to these guys, uh, it's because we didn't stop number 34. It isn't because of anything else they did. And I saw we had Bob Alwini. We were playing in Detroit, and he gets beaten to death. I mean, at one point they hit him so hard. This is Bob Avellini. He lost some of his lower teeth. He had the sheared off. And uh, after the game, we were coming back, short trip, and I'm in front of uh, Avellini. I look at it. His lip is so swollen. He's got stitches on the side of his uh, head. And I go, okay, look at this quarterback. Do you think we won or lost the game? <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh. But, you know, so, so for me and, and Walter, I mean, you know, to progress through that, and again, people go, well, you're on some really bad teams. We weren't on really bad teams. We weren't on teams that only won two games, or at least I didn't, maybe Walter's rookie year. We were average teams that just couldn't get it, you know, to that next level. Yeah, and, um, and, and when you look at the Super Bowl team, you look at the number of first and second round draft choices on both the offense and defense and you go holy smokes the bears did a great job you know, of drafting beginning with dan hampton in 1979 and then you got you know uh well first you got mcmahon and then you had singletary was a second round pick suey's a second round pick uh wilbur and otis are our first round picks singletary second you got Willie Galt as a first round. Both tackles are first round draft choices. Pretty amazing drafting by the Bears to get that kind of talent. Do you ever think and think back on maybe you guys should have had more than just one? Oh, sure. You know, gods were against us. I mean, we were, we were hungry in 1986. We went 14 and two, maybe a little bit like this Bears team. Buddy Ryan left and to take the job with the Eagles. And we were, you know, under Vince Tobin, the defensive player, hey, it wasn't just Buddy. We have the talent. We're going to prove that we had the talent. We had a really good defensive year. We broke records. Offensively, the problem was Jim McMahon wasn't healthy. And so we go to the playoffs with Doug Flutie, who had a great career in the NFL, but, boy, that year he was with the Bears, brutal. I remember yelling one time, at the offenses are coming off and, and Van Horn goes, this guy's calling plays that don't exist. I go, what? He's calling audibles that we don't, we don't have that audible. You know, I don't know if he's calling Boston College or whatever, but we go into the playoffs with the most important position, arguably, quarterback, with a guy who joined the team around Thanksgiving. And so, It's you know, frustrating for guys, like, oh, for, for you guys, oh, like after everything. You yeah, you know what though? You'd already set, for me, after that game ago, we didn't deserve to win. We, we weren't going to go to the Super Bowl with what we had. And so I don't think it was, I think it was because of injuries. It wasn't because of our head. And so the next year, and we're ready. We're not going to let that happen again. And then we go on strike. And that really took it out of us. It, that really hurt the, uh, the team chemistry because Ditka was supporting the scabs and it just was really bad. And, you know, Jim McMahon, we didn't have a good game either offensively and defensively. And I had been 
asked by the Bears, they said, look, we're going to honor Walter. We'd like to honor you. You can either do the same day as Walter, or if you can wait one more week, if we make the playoffs, we'll honor you. And I go, well, <laughs> I think, think I'm going to take plan B because I don't want to be honored with Walter <laughs> Payton. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, that was my last game and Walter's last game. I remember the pictures of you know, him being on the bench. It's, it's hard to believe how over it is and how quickly it's, it's just like, wow, for over a decade, my entire adult life, I have been a player on a professional football team and we've won a Super Bowl and it's just so good right now, but it's time to go. That's tough. Can, can you put into perspective just for people who are younger, you know, 30 and younger, how much the city loved him? Because there's been great, like you said, that team is stacked with people. With, with personalities, with people who could sell jerseys, things like that. There's been the 2016 in between. And you still see Peyton jerseys <laughs> all over the place. Was it the work ethic that resonated with Chicago? Or what, what do you chalk it up to? And like how much of that was there? I don't think it's so much the work ethic. I think that he was a very uh, personable, buoyant personality. And... You know, I tell people that as much grief as I take about the Super Bowl shuffle, that really was kind of the beginning of people focusing a little more on activities and personalities off the field, not just on the field. But Walter was perfect for that type. I mean, he was the, the perfect representative of a NFL player who loved kids, loved to play, left it out on the field every single day, never had to apologize, never got in trouble, and was just, you know, one of those great teammates. And, and you knew that, you know, this was someone really special because the other teams, people would kind of come, oh, hey, Walter Payton, how you doing? I mean, you're like, hey, get back to your side of the field. But, you know, everybody wanted to meet Walter. And he was genuine. You know, it wasn't like he had taken the time or uh, was methodic about manufacturing some type of image. It was the real deal. I mean, look at how many times he would go down, people would try to help him out from the other team, yeah. right? Right, and then he'd eventually just do the ninja. Yeah, oh yeah, right, just embarrass you even more. Like, I'm gonna hit you, <laughs> you're like doing a handspring after I <laughs> gave you what I thought was a great hit. Right. That would be kind of demoralizing. <laughs> well, I mean, 20 years it doesn't seem like mm -hmm. it um yeah it's it's amazing to to see the love that is still shown by chicago fans uh former teammates like yourself when you think about it when you think about that day that you heard he passed uh does it still come back as a moment that just sits with you in the back of your brain well it was hard to go to that mass in uh, south barrington and, but I had gotten a lot of the uh, details from Matt. And, you know, you hope springs eternal. You're thinking, oh, they're going to find something. But I never in my wildest dreams would have envisioned uh, with that team as tight as it is that Walter Payton would be the first person on the team to pass away. I mean, it just seemed to, it, it, it's hard for me to really believe that it's been 20 years. But... You know, you never know. Carpe diem as a result. You know, I've, I've had good friends pass away of cancer, and you're thinking, why? And, you know, Dave Duerson, why? 
So, you know, you got to really, you know, take it uh, every day as you can and, and really appreciate, you know, what, what you have in terms of health. I've been very, I mean, I've gone on this keto diet uh, for the last six months. People go, yeah, you look kind of thin. I go, I'm trying to, I'm not trying to lose weight. I'm trying to live longer. Uh, and, you know, cancer loves sugar. And so I've, uh, I've really, you know, tried to be much more disciplined on that. But, you know, Jared, I, I just look at, you know, that, that whole team was so special. And, and that was just hard to comprehend that any of us at that age would not be here today. Do you feel like his legacy will live on long past, you know, our lifetime? Like, where do you see him in the pantheon of, of players? Oh, I, I think Walter Payton. Walter Payton isn't just the football player. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the awards that he's gotten and the awards they give through the NFL on the Walter Payton Award, I, you know, Walter has become already something much bigger than just, you know, a, a number 34 who played 13 years with the Chicago Bears. I mean, he, you know, you talk to younger players or uh, in the NFL or, or players who are more recently retired, you, you mentioned Walter Payton and they're all excited. I mean, they, they know who he is and know what he embodied and the spirit and the fun. It wasn't just being a great football player. He was a great human being who gave his, uh, so much on and off the field that I, you know, I'm not worried, and hopefully you and your sister and mom aren't, about the legacy of Walter Payton ever diminishing. You know, it's kind of like, in some ways, you know, actually probably not a great analogy, but, you know, they were talking about the, the top middle linebackers. And it's like, well, you got all these Hall of Famers, Singletary, Erlacher, Butkus. But Butkus is like a noun. He isn't just a player. That's like a definition of middle linebacker is changed from middle linebacker to butkus, you know? And I think in some ways, when you mentioned Walter Payton, I think people just have a lot of, whoa, yeah, there's just a lot of different ideas, but they're all real positive. And I, and I think the, the great thing is that I always think of Walter smiling, you know? He always, and it might be because it's a prankster, he's doing something, but, you know, he, I, I know he had down days, we all do, but that's what I think about when I think of Walter. So that was Gary Fensick. Uh, one of my favorite parts of that was just bringing home one aspect of your dad's life that I couldn't really focus on a lot in the, the doc or the special, whatever you wanna call it, is his affinity for racing around in cars. I mean, there's Steve McMichael touched on a little bit. He asked you if you, you still had the, I forget which car, Ferrari, Porsche, whatever it was, but, and how your dad was never late because he was always speeding and friends with the cops, stuff like that. But to hear Gary describe him going inside uh, his car to drive two blocks from the practice fields in Platteville to the, the lunchroom was just awesome. I mean, you could tell that he was he was really floored. And this this guy, I'm sure, has driven in some fast cars in his life before, but he, he sounded like he was having the ride of his life. Can you describe your dad's love of cars and, and racing and things like that? Oh, man, I mean, it was everything to him, Rick. I mean, he was, his whole life was, was fast, you know. He, he lived his life fast, and it, it was in a good way, though. I mean, just that's uh, the reason why I got a chance to kind of meet so many people because he was everywhere. He did not like to sit down, and and the way that he would 
driving cars uh, for some people really really scary i mean i'll never forget the day that he caught his porsche uh 911 turbo black red interior and came and woke me up at 1 a.m took me on i-90 and i'm not gonna tell you how fast we went (laughs) he might still be able to get in trouble for that so uh, um and just the control he loved having control of the car and i think that's what gave him that rush after football to be able to to be able to be in that car, drive the car, handle the car was him and the car in those turns. And it just was something that he always had in his life. And not just that, motorcycles as well. I mean, there was times he, when we were living in Arlington Heights, he was doing wheelies on a motorbike just down the street, just like for whole blocks, just doing wheelies and waving at people. Hey, Walter! He's doing a wheelie just waving at people. So it was a part of his life. It's the way he played the game. And, um, Man, pretty amazing to to be able to have a guy like Gary, you know, talk about some of these uh, these amazing stories that Did, not a lot of people have heard. I don't think a lot of people know how much because I was going to get to a, a, um, one of the fans' emails in a second that kind of touches a little bit on this, but I didn't know how much he was into racing. Period. Not just driving fast, but you guys went to a lot of races after he retired it seemed like i mean looking at those home videos he 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 was checking out the pit crew and and trying to get his mind around pretty much everything racing yeah i mean that that's that's it i mean when you think you think about um you know owning an indycar team and what that meant to him and we traveled a lot of different places to go to races and and he was he was just into it either it was driving or it was being a part of a team and and his love for just motorsports was was very evident. You could just see his passion for it. And it's funny because growing up, I didn't like it that much. And then I grew up to be like a NASCAR fan. So yeah, which surprised like me, I shocked wish, me when I, NASCAR was know, on one I day wish, and you knew everything about the people racing. <laughs> I wish one. I wish I could go back and you know understand what those moments meant. But I think my dad really the biggest thing was just taking me with him. He just wanted me to be around, and um, I'm just very, very glad that I had an opportunity to uh, share some of those moments with him. The email that I was referring to, the fan email, and thank you to everybody who wrote in. And if anybody else wants to write in, we don't need any more pictures or videos for the special because it already aired, and it's not going to air again. But just to kind of have more documentation, because I know it seemed like you and, and what you'd shared with your mom as far as these emails went really was something special. So I, we you would like to hear from some more people, right? I mean, Oh, definitely. I, the emails keep coming in, Rick. I mean, they haven't stopped. I, I still got to answer a bunch of them, but I just want to say thank you to everybody that has hit me up with a story, picture. Uh, I'm going to keep them. I'm going to also figure out what else to do with them because I feel like they uh, they need to be out there in the world for people to be able to read. So uh, we're going to figure this thing out. But it's been a cool, cool process for me to go through a lot of these, bring back some memories and then reliving some of the memories of those fans out there that my dad truly impacted their lives. Yeah, and some of this stuff happened even before you were born. So that, to yeah. me, would be one of the the coolest parts is to kind of see the the life that was led without you even around um so for those who want to write in it's three four thirty four for obvious reasons vid v-i-d-s vids and pics p-i-c-s at gmail.com it was in a tweet that you sent out uh, a couple weeks ago but if you know where jared is on twitter you can also reach out to him there 
Uh, this one is from Jason Kleinhens, and he wrote, Hi, for my 11th birthday in 1990, I got Walter Payton's rookie card. My family knew how much I loved and looked up to him, so they surprised me with a trip to one of his races later that summer. When he got out of the car, I started to cry. He noticed me in the crowd, gave me a kiss on the left cheek, signed a photo that I had from his last season, and took three more pictures with me. This one is my favorite, and I've proudly showed it to almost everyone I've ever met. Walter Payton was the greatest, period. Uh, again, he's he's got some more time because he's retired there, but to, to see somebody st- smiling and, and crying in the crowd and to go over to him and give him a kiss on the cheek, make him feel better in the, uh, the picture, he's got the biggest smile on his face. Um, so it's just it, – it, I work with you. I get to see you every day. You make people feel that special all the time. We've talked about how special you make people, but um, – I don't know. It just—it's really cool to to see how much of a lasting impact he's he's had. And I mean, the guy says he shows it to people every day. He shows it to people all the time. We still got a couple more to go. We still got Jim McMahon. We still got Barry Sanders. Uh, we still have Dan Hampton. So if you want to hear more of these stories, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, send along your stories. We still love to read those. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>